Good morning. Um, I hope you've had a good week. I know it's been a tough week for many of you as um, we are, some of us are back in lockdown. Um, Coburg is not, but I've seen the map of all the lockdown areas and I was telling Roy and, and Sharon that it looks like this giant Pac-Man about to gobble up Coburg because of all the areas around us are in lockdown. Um, but yeah, I know it's been a challenging week. I know that many of you are disappointed and frustrated, um, not only with this pandemic, but also with other things that are happening in your lives at the moment. Please know that we're praying for you, each of you by name. If you have a specific prayer request that you would like us to pray for you, please send us send it through um, by message or uh, on Facebook as a messenger. For those of you whom we haven't met yet, um, please send us your prayer requests and we'll definitely pray for you. It's also been an exciting week because Michelle and Andy had their baby, uh, little Amy. Uh, we're so excited. Uh, congratulations, Michelle and Andy. Congratulations, Mr. and Mrs. Lim. And to Mike and Bernie, congratulations for being auntie and uncle. I think it's all of your first time having a grandson, uh, a granddaughter and uh, having, having a little niece. And so congratulations to the whole family and we can't wait to meet her one day so please upload lots of pictures and videos so that we can get to know her online tonight we have um, our game night at eight o'clock and so i'm just going to put on the screen this is our church um, zoom and basically this um this is the, the same link that we use for after our sermons as well as uh, for when we do game nights. And so join us tonight at 8 o'clock. Um, the password is the same. And if you don't know the password, just message me and I'll let you know what it is. Um, but yeah, we're going to play uh, We're gonna play some t online version of Taboo and Pictionary tonight. So I hope you can all join us um, for our game night tonight. Also a reminder that every week um, I am uploading um, Bible studies Um on the book of Philippians. And so um, if you go to our YouTube channel under the playlist Bible studies um, every week, I'm putting a, a, a about eight minute video um, going through the book of Philippians. I'm also going to be asking you to contribute to um, a Humans of MCAC social media project. Um, basically, you know, in 2010, um, there was this amazing project called Humans of New York and Brendan Stanton is the, is the photojournalist who started this project and basically there's a picture of a, of a random person in New York and he would have interview them and he would um, have a little story about them with as a caption for the photo and I loved this project so for the past 10 years I've been wanting to do something like this um, for our church um, and finally uh, it's going to become a reality. Pauline's going to help me and I'm going to tap on uh, some of you to help me with this as well. And basically, I might ask you to send me a photo and I might ask you some questions. And it's an opportunity for us to get to know each other better, to share what moves us, what shakes us, what troubles us, what inspires and challenges us, but ultimately what brings us together as, as human beings. You know, we have so many things in common and if we get to know each other better, um, it also brings about um, that sense of, hey, we're together in this, even if we're apart. Um, there's a Humans of Adventism page um, if you want to check it out. Um, so yeah, these are really inspiring. For me, I love these. Um, and so this is a project that I would like to start here um, for MCAC, a Humans of MCAC page. And so if I tap on you and say, please, will you ans answer some questions? Um, you know what it's for. Also, if you would like to contribute to our church blog, um, I'd really love having um, a contribution from you, whether it's a short um, little thought or a book review or maybe a song or maybe um, anything that really, um, something that inspires you 
to Grow Closer to God. If you want to share that with the community, please send it through. Um, I would love to have some blog contributions. Today, I'm going to be starting a new series. Um, so we've finished the Influential Christians um, in History series. And today, I'm going to be starting a new series. And the series is going to, it's called The Jesus Story. The Jesus Story. But I'm going to be looking at it from a few different perspectives. Today is going to be the Jesus Story from Mary's eyes. Um, the next time I preach, it'll be the Jesus Story from Peter's eyes. Um, Peter was one of the followers of Jesus. And then finally, from the eyes of Nicodemus, somebody who was kind of ashamed of Jesus, but later on became a very public champion. So I hope and pray that these series um, helps you to get to know and um, trust Jesus better. But let's just have a word of prayer as we begin. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to pray that as I share um, your message today, that everyone listening would be blessed and that they would be inspired to seek a relationship with you that is sometimes um, quite a roller coaster ride, but ultimately um, one that is completely um, surprising in the rewards that it brings and just the community it brings and ultimately the um, the eternal life that it brings. And I pray that as a result uh, of the message today, that more people would, would, would want a closer walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever heard the Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know? Um, the lyrics were originally written by Michael Laurie in 1984, and it was um, the music was produced by Buddy Green in 1991, and it was originally recorded by Christian artist Michael English, who was doing a tour, and he was part of the Gaither vocal band. And since then, it's been sung by many other Christian artists um, or just other artists in general, like Pentatonix. Um, also, Jordan Smith sang it for his American um, The Voice USA competition. He sang it as the live finale piece and won. The first time I heard this song was 10 years ago. One of my best friends in the seminary, Alan, um, sang this song during a chapel. And it was the first time I had heard it. And... I remember the chills that I got as he sang, and I'm not going to sing it for you, but as he sang, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. And it made me think about this young woman. You know, Mary was probably just a teenager when she had Jesus. And she received one of the greatest honors and yet one of the greatest responsibilities and probably most difficult challenges that one could have gotten in her time. And the first time we meet her is in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 33. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Can you imagine receiving this news? Can you imagine, you know, she's just getting ready for her wedding like many other young ladies in her time. And 
to re- to hear this news, right? To first of all, to even see an angel would have been the shock of her life. But then to hear that she's going to give birth to a son, that she's going to be pregnant with the Messiah, the promised one that they had been waiting for for generations. And you know, the angel repeats twice that she's highly favored, and and so Mary is receiving kind of this huge message. And so I imagine she's kind of reeling, trying to take it all in. And she continues in Luke chapter one. Verses 34 to 38. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Because so many times in the past, God had uh, come to women who were not able to have children and had promised children to them, but they had all been married before. But this is different because she is not married. She's a virgin. And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word of God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And this is Mary's greatest legacy. The fact that this news, which for many people would have been an impossibility, many people would have challenged, balked at this idea, asked for a million answers or signs or assurances before they accepted. But Mary, even though she can't understand the why or the how, she says, you know what? I am the Lord's servant. May the word, God's word be fulfilled to me. And, you know, this was not an easy thing that she has agreed to do. You know, not everyone would believe that she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Would you believe that if you heard, if you were a villager in in Mary in Nazareth and you heard, oh, Mary's pregnant, but she's not married to Joseph yet. Whose baby is it? She would have to carry that, you know, shame from her community for the rest of her life. Joseph might also publicly divorce her. She could be rejected by her family in that time, you know, for for having a a baby out of wedlock. She could be even uh, killed. And so this was a very big thing that she has said yes to. And not only that, you know, being pregnant for the first time is a scary experience. But imagine being pregnant with the Holy One. The angel says, you are pregnant with the Holy One. What a heavy burden to carry. It's an incredible privilege, but it also was incredibly intimidating. The phrase, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, is a phrase, same phrase that's used when in the Old Testament, God's glory, God's presence would overshadow the sanctuary. And the Shekinah glory is what it was called, overshadowed the most holy place. And so, in other words, the Holy Spirit comes into Mary's womb and Mary's womb becomes the most holy place. It becomes the holiest of holies and there God's presence physically dwelt. It's quite an incredible message and it's it's probably the most one of the most important stories in the Bible because it makes us say we can't explain it we can't understand it it it's a miracle and it's one of the signs that the Messiah was going to be different from any other human being born when Mary heard this and the angel left you know i imagine she kind of blinked in the darkness and and she's wondering did i just dream all this did this really happen and she remembers that the angel has said that Elizabeth, her cousin, who is very old, who couldn't have children her whole life, is six months pregnant. And so Mary thinks, all right, if, 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 if what happened to me really happened, then I'm going to go visit Elizabeth. 
And so it says in Luke chapter one, verses thirty-nine to forty-five. At that time, Mary got ready, hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, she, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, "Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear." But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill His promises to her. And now Mary knows that she wasn't dreaming; that the angel really came, and that she really is pregnant with with the Messiah. And so, for the rest of the、um, chapter in Luke. Mary just sings praise to God because she knows I don't deserve this. You know, I wasn't chosen because of anything special I did. God doesn't owe me anything, and she's just so grateful to be given this privilege. And she's also really excited that the Messiah is finally here. For generations, the Israelites had 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 been under kept you know captivity in Babylon, and then they came back, and then they were under the siege of Roman Empire. And and every day she would see Roman soldiers mistreating her people, taxing her people, and so she was so excited that the Messiah was finally here to liberate Israel from their burden, to finally get them to be spiritually right with God. So she's she's so honored and excited. Excited for this、um, event happening literally in her life, Mary stays with Elizabeth for three months until Elizabeth gives birth to John the Baptist. She sees that little baby, and she knows God's word never fails. And so she's ready to go back to Nazareth and face what happens next. And what happens next is that Joseph is about to divorce her. Right? Can you imagine? She comes back home to Nazareth, and she's pregnant, and everybody knows now. And Joseph is thinking, "Oh, I don't, I don't want to publicly humiliate her, so I'll just divorce her quietly." Can you imagine how she felt? You know, all alone with her secret, all alone with you know this this knowledge that something amazing and special has happened to her. But of course, no one's going to believe her, or very few people would believe her. And during this very difficult time, I imagine that she would have called out to God, you know, asking for strength and courage to endure, because what was a blessing she immediately realized was also going to be a challenge. It must have been such a relief and comfort when Joseph finally came to her and said, "Hey, an angel came to me in a dream and told me that you are actually pregnant with the Messiah, and I'm going to marry you, and we're going to together raise this child." I imagine that they prayed together, thanking God for this honor, but also praying for wisdom. How do you raise the son of God? Right. I remember when Roy and I, in the hospital with Micah, looked down at this little helpless child. Right, so dependent on you, and and your first time parents, you have no idea what you've just signed up for. You have no idea how to take care of this kid because you've never done it before. And looking at that child and just praying, God help us. Right, and we still pray that every day together. We pray, help us, give us wisdom, help us to know how to raise our children well. Mary and Joseph had this extraordinary calling to raise the Messiah, and their lives would never be the same. The story of Jesus' birth is told usually around Christmas time. Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor,、uh, makes a decree that everyone is going to be uh, uh, counted in a census, and he says, "In order for that to happen, I need everyone to go back to your hometown." Now, for Mary and Joseph, that was Bethlehem. 
And so that meant Mary and Joseph had to travel the 145-kilometer route from Nazareth to Bethlehem while Mary is heavily pregnant. If it were me, I would have complained and whinged the whole time, right? God, why now? This is a terrible time. You know, being pregnant, um, sometimes walking, sometimes being on the donkey, which I, I imagine would not be not much more comfortable, um, you know, having to sleep outside during the travel, um, not having any comfortable amenities around you. This is the beginning of their lives, being caretakers and stewards of Jesus, and yet, you know, they're, they're starting on such a rough journey. And I, I imagine Mary and Joseph have been so worried as, as contractions started and they can't find any room in Bethlehem because all the rooms are full. And Mary and Joseph were very poor, so they probably didn't have enough money to pay for some of the rooms. Um, and so there's no room that they can afford. There's nothing available. And finally, someone has mercy on them because they see that Mary is practically in labor. And so they say, oh, you can stay with the animals. And so scholars believe, rather than a barn, scholars believe that it was a bit of a cave where usually the animals were kept. So can you imagine Mary gives birth to Jesus next to the cows and the donkeys in a smelly, you know, dark, cold place. And she has to lay Jesus in a manger, which is, you know, where the animals ate from with, with some bit of hay and some swaddling clothes. That is not how Mary probably wanted to bring Jesus into the world. That is not how she wanted to welcome the Messiah. She probably wanted the best for him, a clean, warm bed in, 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 you know, surrounded by loved ones. And instead she's surrounded by animals and smelly, you know, noisy, uh, dirty environment. And not only that, you know, she's barely recovered from her exhausting labor and income knocking some shepherds, complete strangers, and they want to see the baby. They want to, they want to hold the baby. And can you imagine how Mary felt, you know, experiencing all this, seeing all this and, and, and having no control and realizing for the first time, and she'll have to realize this over and over again in her life, that what her expectations are is not how God fulfills them. And yet it's beyond her imagination. You know, the angel, uh, the shepherds talk about how angels came to them in the fields and how they sang and how, how they led the shepherds here. And it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 17 to 19, So the shepherds hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The original Greek words that says that Mary pondered these in her heart, it's a word that kind of means she was having an internal conversation, right? She, because she's trying to process everything that's happening. And she's, she's thinking about the fact that the shepherds said, the angels said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom God's favor rests or uh, on earth goodwill to men, right? And she's thinking about all this and she's thinking about how the angel Gabriel had told her nine months before that you, you know, you are highly favored. And he said, um, that a couple of times. And so she's processing all this and she's thinking, okay, God's favor and God's peace does not equal lack of trouble, right? She's been through so much difficulty already. So far, his blessings had been a challenge for her to bear and deliver. 
And so she's thinking and processing all this and thinking, okay, well, it's all right. You know, I don't have peace now. But one day when Jesus grows up and becomes king of Israel, then there will be peace. Then there will be security. Then, then I'll be vindicated, right? Then all these um, things that had been promised to me will happen. And she's processing all this. Forty days later, after the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph take Jesus into the temple as, um, as God wanted them to, to dedicate this baby according to scripture. And when they get to the temple, something else happens. We meet a man named Simeon, Luke chapter 2, verses 25 onwards. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for a revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. In fact, in the original Greek, it implies, it, it, it actually says the sword will keep on piercing you, will repeatedly pierce your heart, your soul. And Mary hears this message. It's a bit of an ominous message, isn't it? But the truth is, that is exactly what happened. Over and over again, Mary's heart would be pierced. Because a mother wants to protect their child. A mother wants that child to, to have the best in life and to not get hurt. But over and over again, Mary would have to witness Jesus being rejected. Over and over again, she would have to witness Jesus' own priorities. Leading him through suffering and ultimately to his death. Mary was at the foot of the cross 33 years later when Jesus was pierced and hung on the cross. Can you imagine this mother watching her son going through this intense physical and emotional suffering and being completely helpless? There's nothing she can do. She of all people knew that he was the Messiah, right? No matter what anyone said or did, she has her testimony that she was a virgin and that she was pregnant and that the angel came to her. So she knows he is the Messiah. He is divine. But how could he be dying now? Everything that she had expected, right? The peace that she had been waiting for, the kingdom that she was waiting for Jesus to establish, everything that she expected were now dying on the cross, there have been so many moments in those, third, in those three and a half years of Jesus' ministry where Mary's hopes had soared. You know, the very first time Jesus performed a public miracle was at a wedding where, where there was no more wine and, and Mary had kind of nudged Jesus and said, hey, this is a perfect time to, to show what you can do. She knew what she was, he was capable of and, and Jesus had looked at her in a, in a loving but kind way and said, my time is not now. You know, you, what you want is not what God wants, but but Jesus goes and, and she knows he can do this. And she tells the servants, hey, do whatever Jesus asks you to do, do. And Jesus does this for her. And he also does it to show her, hey, there's something greater I'm trying to establish here. There's something 
a priority that I have to obey that's greater than your authority. And so over and over again, her hope of, oh, he's going to do something now. He's going to seize the moment now. When Jesus fed the 5,000 and the people were, were all excited and ready to make him king, Mary thought, this is it. This is the moment that I'll be vindicated. This is the moment that my son will finally be vindicated. This is the moment that all of our dreams will come true. But Jesus would go away to a quiet place and pray. Leave the crowds behind. And Mary would often come to Jesus with, with um, his, his, you know, her others, her children. And, and they would pull Jesus aside and they would say, Hey, Jesus, you know, moderate your language. And you'll have more political influence. Don't, don't say that. Don't do this. And be careful, leaders. They tried to advise him. And Jesus would again look at her and say, I have to do God's will. Not yours. Not mine, but God's. And over and over again, Mary and her expectations were dashed. And here at the foot of the cross, instead of being the king of Israel, instead of seeing him on the throne, she sees a crown of thorns. And she sees a mocking sign above his head that says, King of the Jews. Can you imagine the anguish that Mary felt as she wept at the foot of the cross? Mary wanted what we all want, safety and peace and security for our families, for our people, for our country, for our world, in this lifetime, in this year. You know, it's what we work so hard to achieve day in and day out, peace and security. It's what we strive for, to bring about a good life. But throughout his ministry, Jesus would say things like, don't work to lay up treasures here on earth, work to lay treasures in heaven. He would say, whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he would say, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to this earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. A sword that would pierce through our thoughts and our motives and would, would reveal what's really in our hearts. What's, it would pierce through all the layers of pride and hypocrisy and complacency with this challenge that he stated and that Mary heard. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. This was a challenge that Mary heard and, and that she had to process. She loved Jesus as her son, as her hope, as her fulfillment of her expectations. But that, but that sword of truth pierces through her heart as she realizes at the cross with sharp disappointment that all of that needs to die. Jesus in his suffering sees his beloved mother in anguish and he, he, he wants to comfort her, but on the cross in his state, it's so hard to breathe. So he, so he nods at his disciple, John, who is next to her. And he says, behold, this is your mother. And she, and she looks, he looks at John and John nods, John understands. And she, he looks at Mary and says, behold, this is your son. And from that moment on, John adopts Mary as his mother and takes her home and takes care of her. What a difficult weekend that was for Mary as Jesus was laid in the tomb. 
I imagine Mary sitting in John's house, depleted from all the exhaustive weeping, hollow from the fact that the greatest meaning of her life is now gone. Where was the peace that Angel Gabriel had promised to her? Where was the salvation? I wonder if Mary slept at all that weekend. And I wonder what it must have been like that Sunday morning when she's awoken by the sound of young women shouting in jubilee, he's alive. And, and as Mary is rubbing her eyes, the women rush into her room and say, Mary, we saw Jesus. He's alive. And I imagine Mary, you know, if she were any younger, would have run back with them. But she's just kind of stunned, sitting upright in her bed. And, and John heard, and John and Peter and the other disciples, they run to the tomb to, to see if this is true. And Mary's heart is pounding in her chest. And over and over again, she's thinking, he's alive. Jesus is alive. And he's back. This time, not as a baby frail and helpless in her care. This time he's a triumphant king who has conquered death for himself and for all of humanity. This time he's radiant and powerful and otherworldly, and this time he will care for her. This time he will deliver her. And this time he will fulfill her wildest expectations for life and peace and security. Because finally Mary realizes that the peace that Jesus wants to give her is not the absence of pain, not the absence of difficulty, but the peace that Jesus wants to give Mary and for all of us is the assurance of salvation, the hope of eternal life, the promise that God's mercy and justice and righteousness will one day conquer all, that death will be no more, that pain and sorrow will be no more, and that Jesus will reign over earth, the King of Kings. The Bible doesn't tell us about the reunion between the mother and son, but I imagine now she is worshiping at his feet, not as her son, but as her Lord and Savior. She has learned to let go of all her past expectations, and she is now putting all her hope in, her, in Jesus and in the future glory, in the future redemption of what is to come. The last we hear of Mary in the scriptures is in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says that after Jesus resurrected, all the disciples are gathered together, and they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. I love the fact that Luke makes mention of that. I'm so glad that we know, we get to hear that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there in the upper room praying. And while they're praying, it says in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house while they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Mary was there when the Holy Spirit came. And for the second time in her life, she, the Spirit fills her with the divine calling. 
The first time was to literally bear Jesus, right? The first time the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, she bore Jesus, literally. But the second time the Holy Spirit overshadows her, and now she's, she's called to bear Jesus figuratively, symbolically to the world as his representative. And once again, she becomes the temple of God. Once again, she becomes the most holy place, filled with the Spirit of God, filled with God's presence. And once again, Mary is there to say, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She knows now that following Jesus means carrying the cross, accepting the challenges and the responsibilities that come with the blessing. It means being willing to go through even death to experience the resurrection. It means letting go of our own expectations and hopes and desires of this life and letting God fulfill his, his will in our lives, in his way, in his time, in his wisdom. It's a lesson that we have to learn over and over and over again today. That the peace that God promises is not a short-lived one. He wants peace for eternity, for all of us, for the entire world. And that means sacrifices now. That means difficult choices now. That means letting go now of what we think God owes us and asking instead, God, what do you want from me? How can I serve you? How can I advance your cause? I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And while the challenges seem difficult, it will all be worth it when we get to see Jesus face to face. You know, I heard Michelle uh, was in labor for over 20 hours this week to bring about her little daughter. But when I saw the picture that she sent, a picture of her and, um, and her little Amy in her arms, she looked so happy. And I don't think she regretted for a moment what she had to endure to bring Amy into this life. I imagine that Mary did not regret for one moment the pain and suffering and challenges that she endured. I imagine that she, for the rest of her life, alongside with John, served Jesus until her last dying breath. Because no matter what challenges and responsibilities that she had to go through, she knew that it was hastening the day that she would get to see Jesus again face to face. And the second coming of Jesus is going to be so different from the first coming. She gave him life in the first coming, but in the second coming, he would give her life, eternal life. He was her child in the first coming, but in the second coming, she will become his. One of the last moments of, in her memories with him had been of him wearing a crown of thorns with a sign saying, King of the Jews. But in the second coming, he's going to come with many crowns and he will have the title King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And she will finally experience that fulfillment and that peace and that eternity with him face to face. Whatever we let go of, whatever we give up, whatever we endure this week, let's remember that it's all going to be worth it if it hastens the day that we can see Jesus face to face. Nothing else we work for is going to endure here. Nothing else that we save, nothing else that we build, nothing else that we work to construct here is going to stand. But the work that we do for God, however challenging, however impossible, however incredible it seems, and however unrewarding it might feel like in the meantime, is going to endure into eternity. And I hope and pray that when God asks us to be vessels of his Holy Spirit this week, that we, like Mary, would say, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to 
realize what a blessing it is to be called by you to be a disciple, to be a witness, to be a follower. And to realize that, yes, it does mean carrying the cross. Yes, it does mean letting go of some things. But it also means clinging on to the blessed assurance that you are with us, that you're giving us eternal life, and that, Father God, you are going to restore this world and make it whole. We long for healing, Father, for this world. And we believe that you have the power to bring about restoration, to bring about that healing, to bring about justice and mercy. And Father, it's a long, we're in it for the long haul. Peace is not something that can be brought about easily and quickly. And so Father, in this, in this long struggle between good and evil, in this fight to bring about peace, Help us to be ready and available instruments for you. Help us to, to be willing to take up the cause, to stand and fight for you, to do whatever it takes so that we can help others meet you and that we ourselves will be able to see you face to face and be reunited with you. And Father, help us to be humble like Mary, to, know, to no longer ask and demand from you, but instead to be willing to serve you for the rest of our lives. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.